You're listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. Visit us at mashthosebuttons.com. Hey there, welcome to episode 121 for Push the Point, presented by Mash Those Buttons, your source for Overwatch League news, player updates, storylines, and more for season four of the Overwatch League. I'm your host, Ramses. Thanks for being here with us tonight, whether it's on twitch.tv slash Mash Those Buttons, on your podcast provider, or wherever else you're listening to us. Thanks for hanging out with us for a great season. Uh, we've appreciated you guys being here in whatever shape or form you've been here. It's been an awesome ride. We'll talk more about everything that just happened. Of course, me and my co-host, Labosco. Just remembering to leave us a review on iTunes or whatever you'd like to listen to for podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at PushPointPOD, at Labosco, and at Ramsey's underscore OW. And Labosco, how are you doing? The season is finally over. We have uh, officially hit the end of it. I, I was a little sad that the two teams that I wanted to win the championship didn't. Um I mean, not that it's like a major surprise with the outcome that it ended up being, but they both they went as far as you could go without winning the championship. So I was a little bit happy about that at the very least. But I I, I enjoyed I enjoyed this year's playoffs. I thought that they were they were pretty fun. There were some good games. There was also some blowouts, um, which is kind of the standard you're going to have for playoffs. Unfortunately, our championship game did not live up to how the rest of this year went. But that. That's what that happens in championship games sometimes. So it, it was a fun season. It was a season that felt like it was too fast, too short. Um, I feel like a lot of people feel that way, too, which is a surprise, because how many how many years in the past, Ramses, do we have people talk about like uh, viewing fatigue? You know, mm-hmm. we didn't have that this year. We had the opposite. So um, I'm curious to see how the league responds to that, because. That sounds like an opportunity to make more money if there's more games for you to broadcast, right? Uh, more home stands if if 2022 is the year where we finally can have that happen. Um, with how COVID's going, probably not, but you never know. So, <laughs> I mean, they don't care for football right now. So, who's to say that maybe maybe Overwatch League will just not care next year and and you know go the same route as basically what everybody else is doing. I mean, I was just at a live event today um, where a lot of venues now require negative, either a negative COVID test, usually like a PCR test within three days of the event or your like or official like vaccination confirmation. So who knows? We might get there. I mean, I saw teams already start doing like watch parties. So in theory, you could. I think it might just be like a scale thing. But like you're saying, if they're making it work for football and other sports, like I don't necessarily see. Oh, I, I don't necessarily see that being a barrier in the same way for Overwatch next year. Yeah, I, I don't see it being a problem either um, if Overwatch decides to go that way. It's it's really up to what the um, what the owners want to do and what the league wants to do. So is I'm sure that the league, the the owners want to have games at home as soon as possible, because it's a lot of money that they're missing out on. So I I, I definitely enjoyed everything. As far as like some of the formatting stuff, maybe what we could have is um, an extra week of like um, playing or not playing games, but uh, regular season games for each tournament, you know, add another game or two to the schedule for each team, get it, you know, get it a 
maybe get like above that 20 mark or so, so for for games i guess if you were to add another like week of games each week um for each uh tournament leading into the the playoffs that would be what like two games you could add a potential one or two games more for teams so over the season that's like four games maybe maybe you know six games more so that would get us to 20 games maybe that's something that they do to sort of make it not feel so short you know you're only adding four weeks on then to the season which uh you know obviously maybe that's something they don't want to do anytime soon because we're having these april starts but if they went back to like a february start it wouldn't really matter right we'd kind of end around Mm -hmm. this time of the year maybe a little bit earlier so it could work out so Really quick, uh, quick shout out to our boy D Hulky for apparently, w- I think, winning the best bracket in the Overwatch like pickums. It looks like a guy. It looks like he got the highest number of total points with thirty four, uh, which the best bracket apparently wins ten thousand dollars. So huge ups to our boy because that kind of came out of nowhere. That is an, uh, awesome. So ten k his way. And he was only seven points off from a perfect bracket, though. That's pretty crazy. He was single digits away from from it. Um, Mm -hmm. That, to me, is pretty nuts. And he beat, you know, two points doesn't seem like a lot, but two points is a decent amount of money or decent gap for something like this. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool that he was able to win. Um, And I'm sure he... He's the type of guy who seems like he could maybe take that 10 grand and turn it into a hundred grand. So he's, he's a smart dude. Yeah. So I, I have faith. Alrighty. Lots to talk about today, Lobo. Yeah. Um, and that's even before we get into the actual um, games. So we'll kind of, we'll try our best to breeze through the news. Um, we'll take a little bit of time as far as the overwatch two stuff that came out this week. And then we'll get into the actual games themselves. Um, at the very beginning of this last week, roster construction rules for the 2022 season came out. Um, mostly just more key dates. Um, we were talking about this earlier. It seems that it seems like this is earlier than last year, but I feel like I remember like the extension thing happening right after grand finals last year too. I think it was pretty close. It's hard to, I don't know that memory works in a weird way. It, it, It is pretty fast though. Um, We'll we'll just give the dates here real fast first. Obviously, we had Grand Finals, which just happened. Um, from the day we were recording this, Grand Finals was yesterday. So, uh, September 25th, Grand Finals match. 26 teams may begin submitting player trades for League Office review. All League trades are subject to uh, League Office approval prior to becoming effective. Teams may also continue working on extending or otherwise signing their current players to standard contracts. So that's the first big thing is like trades can start being matriculated into the league office. That doesn't mean they'll get announced today if if any trades are coming, Mm -hmm. but they can they can start that process. uh, If this is something that they've you know, there's some teams that may have been already talking about this prior and and, you know, now the official offseason opens up so they can do those, you know, only a day later. So it, pretty quickly we get moving here from one thing to the next. Mm-hmm. And then for the October 2nd is the deadline that teams must exercise any option 
they may hold to extend existing players' contracts. One thing to remember about Overwatch League is there's only there's no player options. It's only team options. Yeah. Um. So so you have that, um, which what a week away from that. Yeah, I mean, that's a week away from now. I mean, that's what Saturday. Is it Saturday? I, I don't I don't know how the days so. line up. Yeah, it's yeah, Saturday. You're it's right. Saturday. So. Just a week to figure out who you're going to be keeping for. Well, who you're going to option if you have the option. Who to option, yes. And we we saw examples last year. I don't remember who exactly, but we saw examples last year of teams like declining a, an option and then still signing that player to a new contract. Yeah. So it's not unheard of. Um, we will see what happens. I feel like most teams have some pretty big, like for sure, options you would extend. And then afterwards, you kind of come back and see what you can work with. Yeah. October 9th, players whose contracts expired after 2021 season become free agents. October 10th, teams may begin signing free agents to contracts for the 2022 season. Um, and also something that should be mentioned, while this is happening, this doesn't mean that teams start talking to these players on the 9th. It's usually, it's probably already even happening right now. It's just that they can't officially negotiate and say, hey, here's what we want to offer you until the 10th. Yeah, I don't know what the rules are for Overwatch League because, like, if you think about like the NFL, there's like there's tampering a legal everything. There's the the legal tampering period, and then you can officially sign people at a certain date. I don't know if Overwatch League has uh, rules saying that you cannot talk to players during a certain time. Um, they might not. At least from how it's written here, it doesn't seem like there's anything like that. So, like you said, like players, they, they could be talking to players right now, even who already know that they're not going to be signed. Um, that is something that's a possibility. We don't know a hundred percent. It's not, you know, it's not clear whether that's mm-hmm. something that can happen or not. But if last year's any indicator news will slowly like, like every week, it seemed like there was like a new signing here or there. Like mm-hmm. th- there was not like, a big like wave at the beginning and then like nothing in the middle and then everything at the end, it was kind of, you know, signing here, assigning there every, you know, every week or so. And, and then by the end of the season, like you kind of knew everything, but you, you know, nothing was like super fast all happening at once. You know what we should do for this roster season? We didn't prepare for it last time. I think it'd be super fun next week, especially since we'll have to figure out what we do next week and like going forward. We should do like a roster, like an off-season roster prediction show. Hmm. Make like I think it'd be fun to make like a bit like pick a couple players and make a couple moves, and then also, I mean, granted, there will be we may want to wait. The problem is like if we if we wait till like the official sheet that comes out that shows like who's a free agent and who isn't, they've put that out in the past. There's nothing to say that the league will put that out put that out again this year, but. If I think that'd be fun to do like a a, a roster building show for a I, week, we have people like Ms. Liz though. Um, shout outs to Ms. Liz. I know that her week has been absolutely wild, um, along with a lot of the other um, reporters for the Overwatch League. The journalists doing great work as always. So gets. I hope they're all getting their rest, and I hope that they're all getting ready for what's obviously going to be some crazy stuff. The, the hardest part about this is like. It'd be so much easier to do that if we were still going to be six on six next year. Yeah. You know, we're moving to five feet five. So I think things get a little bit harder, but I definitely think it's de- something that would be fun to sort of speculate and do. 
because like we there is so many unknown factors now with Overwatch 2 coming in. So th- that could be a, a definitely a little fun exercise for us to do, especially considering like we know the game is changing considerably for 5v5. And uh, I, I, I think teams are going to be I wonder how long they're going to wait to sign players like we might not see signings early on as a result other than like big name players or something. Mm-hmm. until like way later on when like these teams are able to get their hands on like you know early builds of overwatch 2 that they can be scouting players with i i wouldn't that's, be surprised if that's something that, that is a dilemma that somebody brought up of like how are teams gonna be able to scout players or like how are players going to be able to trial if there's not at least like a beta of overwatch 2 available well that's the thing i'm sure that teams will have access to like you know in-house builds of some kind that they can trial players with. I, I wouldn't right. be surprised if that's something that happens, right? Two more dates really quick to talk about. Uh, so January 3rd, 2022 is the deadline for all teams to have a minimum of five players signed a season long contract for the 2022 season. Um, March 1st is the deadline for all teams to have a minimum of six players signed to all to season long contracts for the 2022 season. Um, players who were, and then, so pretty much we're still keeping the six man minimum roster, but I think January 3rd, you have to have at least five and then minimum. So the minimum salary for Overwatch League contracts has been increased to you to five fifty thousand seven hundred US dollars to reflect the cost of living adjustment based on global inflation rates. Um, and then they're saying no major changes to player contract structures. Um, Two-way con I feel like I heard that there were differences with how two-way players are traded treated now. But two-way players allow players to com- two-way contracts allow players to compete in both Owl and Overwatch contenders. No limit to the number of players who may be designated as two-way players at any time. And two-way players on teams with no academy team affiliate, so like everybody except for Boston and Chengdu, <laughs> um, are eligible to participate in contenders competitions via player loan agreements. Up to four two-way players may compete together on the same contenders roster in any given match. Yeah, basically that's like the the the, the four way four two-way players on one team sort of thing is sort of to limit like a team from just basically having everybody be two-way players. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that they can technically have everybody be two-way players. That that I'm not a big fan of. Not that the teams will. I just I'd rather there be that 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 protection in there for the players then they're not so uh, that that's one thing i'm not too big on but it's not a big big deal but i i think as far as this like they they didn't really they didn't take away as much as they did the year before from players but but there are still some things here that obviously are going to suck it's nice that for the players they have to have at least six still so you're not losing um you're not losing out on number of players that way um, but like the amount of players that are going to be getting paid starter salaries is definitely going to change. So that that's where things will be different. Um, unless you're somebody who already had a contract that extends through 2022, like then you're fine. But most of these mm-hmm. guys usually are on like two year contracts or three year contracts. Like you don't see, um, you don't see in, in really in esports in general, you don't see like the, the mega deals, the, the super long contracts that you see in traditional sports. So, so nobody really has like a super long contract, but just looking at this, like the, these changes don't really, 
there's really not many changes other than the game is changing. Um, and that'll change how teams construct their roster. But as far as roster construction stuff, this is kind of normal. I think it's kind of goofy that they've got like two months after they need five players to get one more. That's a little weird to me. I actually wish that they made it that they had to have a minimum of seven players on the team since we are losing a spot like that would have been a little bit nice of a thing that like would have been something nice to the players that guarantees more players are on teams. It also, I think, would be beneficial of teams that they they are supposed to have some subs. I, I'm not a big fan of them not having more subs than not. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of having only six or anything like that. So uh, a little bit unfortunate on that side. But at the end of the day, this is kind of in line with how things were last year. So. Going into the awards, we finally have um, our season awards revealed. Um, I think we'll just go through each one. We already, I think we've talked about this so much that it's not surprising. I think there's not as much to go into necessarily. Leave from the Trying to Do Hunters wins MVP. Um, kind of a guy who took a hold of the conversation later in the season. Was somebody who competed for it for a lot, but I think really kind of became one of the like hot verbal commodities around MVP near the end of the season. Um, I mean, when he was coming into the league last year, Lobo, you and I talked about that this guy was definitely MVP level material. So it's cool mm -hmm. to see him actually get it. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, especially when you consider the fact that um, the, the, the Chinese market is, is also like one of the, the biggest places that overwatch is pushing because it's one of the, it's, one of the places where Overwatch is probably is more popular there probably than anywhere else right now. So mm -hmm. from from that sort of standpoint, that's what kind of makes sense, right? Um, that's not why I leave one, but I'm saying like like it's good for the league that somebody in the market that that is one that you're really going to be putting a lot of effort into wins MVP. And he definitely was deserving of it. He wasn't my choice for it. But I definitely can see why people wanted him to win and why they thought he should win. Like he's not a he's not a choice that that I'm against in any way, shape, or form. So it, it's really cool. He's definitely deserving of it. I, like I said, I I had a couple of other people I probably would have picked over him, but he he definitely he definitely is somebody who is deserving of the award and had an incredible regular season. That like you can you you can't be mad at the fact that he was picked. Definitely. Um, looking at the other awards as well, Pelican won the Rookie of the Year, which again, like there was competition for, but I think once we kind of got near the last like third of the season, it I think it was it became pretty clear that Pelican was in the lead at least, like he was like the leading candidate for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, it was only like a two or three man race, really, right? Like like the only other person that really like off the top of my head comes to mind is Gaga. Like Gaga is the only other person. For rookie of the year that I was even thinking about. Um, Kef's, no, Kef, this is Kefster's second year. Yeah, it's, it's weird. You think of it, it, I, I did the same thing, I think, with Kevster at like a couple weeks ago. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a good choice. Like I said, Gaga was the probably would have been who I would have picked, but that's OK. Um, I think Kel, I think Pelican is super deserving, and I think his playoffs Sometimes I'm wonder if like I'd rather these awards be after the 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 postseason is over because like 
I think his playoff run for Pelicans sort of solidified him for that over Gaga in my mind. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that there was a span, I don't remember which tournament it was, where he was just clearly the best DPS in on the field. Yeah. Where it it makes sense. Like this is a I think also credit should be given out too. This rookie class this year was awesome. Like across the board, you had players on a whole litany of teams, whether it was like rookie rosters like Paris or rookies kind of coming in alongside veteran spots. I think of like skewed on the gladiators who really did not get the talk he deserved this year. And then, or guys like Pelican who came in to a roster where we were wondering, man, how is he going to fit here? And he became the centerpiece for the team. Yeah. It, it was really cool to see. And you mentioned skewed and like you saw them adopt something that we saw the, you know, years prior from like the San Francisco shock where they would do like the double flex supports with, with, uh, with twilight and, and, um, and violet. You saw the 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 gladiators start to do that and have I mean, that was a big part of why they won the final uh, regular season tournament. So. From that standpoint, it was really cool to see skewed sort of ascend with shoe in that way. And there were a lot of very good rookies. I mean, you look at monk who who was the 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 flex uh, support for the. Chengdu Hunters had a pretty good season all year. I was still confused why Far Away 1987 never played. And then he played in the playoffs, which you didn't play him at all during the year that you played him in the most important. Whatever. That, that's besides the point. But but like you saw some very good flex supports get get some shine. You saw a lot of very good rookies that played on a bunch of teams. And it was really cool. Um, they're very, very, especially the top like rookies were very, very good. Coach of the year went to rush on the Dallas fuel again, like one of the leading candidates. This isn't surprising, but Mm -hmm. I think, and it's kind of, it feels like it's too easy to give it to rush a little bit. But when you think about, I guess the project he was tasked with bringing back this element mystic roster. And again, great roster. I have had to eat my words time and time again about these guys, but like, this is a challenge of bringing back this roster of players who all were in contenders together at different points and making this into an elite Overwatch League team. And then having to work around with Exy, who we'll talk about in one second, like Exy having to leave like for medical leave and figuring out how do we switch our play style in order to you and, and to move around our weaknesses and turn them into strengths. Like, even though he still ha- like you we have a similar argument earlier. The guy started with a really good roster, but that doesn't mean he has not done a phenomenal job making the most with it. He he had a phenomenal roster, but he also had a roster that was very pigeonholed into certain types of compositions. And by the end of the year, they were able to play things that people weren't even thinking that they'd be able to play. Um, that is a testament to, to Rush. Mm-hmm. And the ability to to coach these players to place different styles that they clearly weren't comfortable with things that we had known they weren't comfortable with when, when the, the majority of this core of the team was part of the Paris Eternal the year before. The Again, this is also, though, an award where I kind of wish it was, you know, post postseason because to me, the, the, the coach of the year is Moon with what he did in the playoffs. So I, I think what Rush did during the regular season was um, groundbreaking. I also think that it really challenged teams to 
change how they played, right? Like lean into your strengths as a team, even if the beta maybe doesn't necessarily call for it. Figure out how best to to utilize what your team does best and then slowly adjust to other compositions as you learn them. So um, Overwatch is a game where where sometimes the meta composition is what you have to play, but there's other times where it's not that, right? And, and Rush was definitely very good at, at towing that line and knowing when to mirror and when to not. Um, I definitely was scratching my head a little bit at the end of the year, but during the, the season, I don't think you could argue at all with what Rush did. Quick note about Exe as well. Um, a little bit of news came out a day or two ago that he is uh, actually looking for teams and contenders right now. Um, he said himself on stream that he is officially a free agent, that they've released him from his contract, which has been done mostly to allow him to kind of explore his options right now um, while he remains in Korea, which I guess would mean contenders. I don't think he'd be, there's a chance he plays for an APAC team, but probably not. So I don't know, man. He's pretty good. Like if you're, oh, an I mean, for medical, team. like, oh, I, I'm sure there will be teams looking to get him, but also like for medical reasons, I think it's the, I'm looking for team contenders, a mercenary. I think it might mean him coming in more as like a ringer where he's not necessarily required to be like expected to be playing there all the, all the time. Um, again, his response is again, it's an all caps off season mercenary. And then asterisk ringer. So I think as he was looking for the word ringer the whole time. So, yeah, I. The thing with XE is like medically, like I would want to be with like a, a tier one team, right? Because they're going to have access to stuff medically that other teams aren't. So um, I don't. Because his medical problem, you know, I forget if it was like back or something or neck, I think is what it had to do with 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 XE, wasn't it? I forget what mm. exactly was was what was keeping him from playing, but it was something that was like, you know, you have to be very careful with. So for me, I'd rather see him with with an org that's going to be able to help him get to a point where he's going to be able to play with no problems. Um, that that's what I would want to see for him. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, Overwatch 2 is going to change everything. I think that he's super talented and that whatever ends up happening will be very good. I just don't know what's going to happen. I agree. I hope we get to see him in some capacity, though, um, yeah. in the near future, or at least in the future. And then the Dennis Hawelka Award winner goes to Sparkle, my boy. <laughs> um, side note, it is interesting huh, how every single um, Dennis Hawelka award winner has been connected to Envy as an org. Yeah, but like, have you? Ever I don't know. I don't mean that like, I don't mean like that's weird or like or shady or anything. I mean, like, it is just interesting that they've all been connected to Envy in some way, shape or form. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like every single one. I think everybody who who's won it, everybody's like, oh, yeah, that guy totally is the one who should win yeah. it. You know oh, what definitely. I mean? Like, like there's never there, there's never been one where like you're like, I don't know about this one. And like McGravy, McGravy's like ties to Envy weren't quite like the same as like other players, too. Mm -hmm. So. I don't know, I I, I think it's cool, but it, I, I, I definitely am happy that Sparkle was the one who won it. Um, He, he has an infectious personality. <laughs> and. And uh, he sort of fits like what you want for somebody to be to win that award, right? 
Also, he's yeah. a gold star. Well, and what I appreciate too is it sounds like they made um the the team like all the teams actually submitted like letters of nomination for who they wanted for who they thought should like deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was it? In their in their award, nomination letter for the award, Tasmo wrote, "There is never a moment that Sparkle isn't being himself and trying to bring joy to others. His positive attitude bleeds into his teammates and coaches, and has played a role in extending all our high spirits in our successful year th- thus far." I think this is this part of the award is less about necessarily the public, like visible good things. I would say, how would I put it, like. I think it's a little bit more akin to like what Mickey was doing with the envy a couple years ago, right? Where like, this is a guy who has a great attitude and people love being around him. I and mean, he's an awesome presence in our community, like with the fans and on our team. So we want to honor this guy. Like, I think it's a, it fits more along those lines as, unless as like, we talk about like the Walter Payton man of the year award, where it goes into like what your work has been doing with charity and like your actual, like outside well, of the team community. I, I think there's a, there is an element of that to it. But I think you're also talking about guys who aren't making millions of dollars and have the abilities to create charities. You know what I mean? Like, like it's a different level of what they can do. They don't have the same resources. So, like, I'm sure if Sparkle had the money, we'd be talking about Sparkle's, like, you know, kid funders. You know what I mean? Or, or like, Sparkle going out and doing these things with, with uh, the, the charity that he's created because he's a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just not the case. So I, I think you're just not going to have like, you'll still have that community aspect to it. It's just not going to be the same as the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. However, this is clearly like they this award is, is definitely in the same vein of the Walter Payton Man of the Year award, especially with the fact that you have every team that has a, a single player that's nominated for it like it is the, the the structure of it is just the same as how they do the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. So so it, it is a, a very similar award in that sense, but not in the sense that like you're going to have guys like, you know, going out and into the community and being able to give the way that an NFL player is. I think it's also just unfair to think that they, they could. So so I think that like the positivity part of it is a bigger factor just because the other part can't be as big of a factor yet. I think one day we will get to the point where the, you know, the Dennis Avelka award winner is somebody who does stuff like, you know, a JJ Watt does in the community. I hope so. I would love to see it. Um, looking at, I just hid the info stripe on Twitch. Sorry. So I'm trying to, there we go. <laughs> also, um, uh, it's for those who are in, uh, the Twitch here, you've probably seen the grins from Ramsey's, and it's because he's uh there there's I a will, sparkle montage that he, the, he was the sparkle linked. rage montage is my favorite thing, man. I love it. He linked it to me and, and I, I know that's why he's been uh having this grin. Um looking so a couple more pieces of things. Well, some stuff to talk about really quick before Overwatch 2. Uh the Roll Stars also hated Geo. Hi Geo. Well, I didn't recognize the name. Good to see you, dude. Hope you're doing well. Um, Roll Stars went out earlier this week. Uh, Four per roll. I feel like in the past there used to be like six. I think five would probably be like the best one. I don't know. It feels like when you only do four per roll, 
it's just going to be the top two teams. And we kind of saw that across the board. We're like, it was the top two teams. Well, not even top two, actually, because we look at the end of the season standings. But like, it was a bunch of Dallas and Shanghai players. And then like one player from another team, typically. Yeah. And and not a surprise, like with the choices, too. Like, starting off with damage, it's Leave, Sparkle, Lip, and, and Kevster. Like, mm-hmm. who's beating them, right? Like, like who, who, who would you put over any of these guys, right? Um, I mean, it becomes like a semantics thing, right? Or like a personal preference thing where you're like, oh, well, like, I think Kai should be up there. It's like, well, Kai had a, and I don't actually think Kai was, like, I, I'm just trying to give somebody who would have a dissenting opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, it'd be like, yeah, he had a really good season. But then, like, people are going to be like, well, I think he should be up there because he was awesome. It's like, okay, well, here, is, here are stat-wise the top four guys. It's like, okay, well, like, this guy deserves it. It's like, yeah, he does. Like, he played really well. But I don't know if you can make call that a role start necessarily. Yeah, exactly. And, like, you have one for, – for DPS, you have one who's the MVP. Sparkle, who could have been the MVP. Lip, who maybe should have been the MVP. Yeah. And then you have Kevster. <laughs> So, so like you're, you're just, you're not, you're not beating these guys, especially when you look at like some of the rates, the rankings that these guys had for, for different, um, heroes and stuff. Like it just wasn't happening. So obviously that's a super easy choice. I think, uh, for, for the, for the DPS, I think tank is where you have like the biggest conversation though. Cause for tank it's fearless Hanbin void and space. Only one main tank. And and to me, there's really there's two people that that I think kind of maybe should have been on here that weren't. Um, one of them to me is Gaga, because I think Gaga was that good. But but the person I put before even him uh, was in the championship game in Hawk. I can't mm. believe Hawk wasn't a role star. Like I know Space had a pretty good year, but Hawk has been fantastic all year. So that's why I think that five would be yeah. five would be the perfect number. I think. Mm-hmm. Because like if you're going to have your two like top all these season teams like are gonna fill most of it. But like I think you get Hawk in for there. I think for damage you get like one more really good person in there. Same yeah. with support. Like five is the perfect number, I think. Yeah. L- like it's funny, uh Pelican was rookie of the year and was an MVP candidate, and he's not even a role star, right? I think if he wasn't the rookie of the year winner, I think he would have gotten it. Or no, I don't even know then because that's what I'm saying. He still probably wouldn't have. But but yeah, exactly. Like like um, but like if you have five, then you're able to put him in there, um, and deservedly so. I mean, maybe you have like a seat now. Now I'm surprised they don't like do something out of like like the NFL or some of the other leagues where they have like a second team, you know? Because this is basically all pro, right? So Mm -hmm. why not have like a second team and then like you you could put pelican on there and, and a couple of the other guys that maybe just missed out like a kai and and um even some players who, who from other teams that maybe you wouldn't think of but like had actually like really good years like um maybe decay doesn't make it on because of not playing all the time but like maybe assassin makes it on or something like mag would maybe be a second team role star and stuff like that mm-hmm. um but like there, there's definitely like a conversation for something like that to be happening um, just based on the fact that, that it does feel like there's maybe a guy or two missing from these lists somewhere. Um, I, I think support is, is like, th- there's maybe a couple conversations for a couple people, but I think this one is maybe the, the most 
this and DPS, I think, are the, the, the two where you feel most confident with what they picked for the role stars. Because you have Shu, Izayaki, Fielder, and Lee Jagon as the four for support. Um, it is interesting, too. Like, I don't know if I have to find the status for it. Um, I think Bonnie put up that if you look by just amount of like accolades won in the amount of time they've been in the in professional Overwatch, I think Lee Jagon is the most successful Overwatch player of all time. I think she there, said she said that the most successful, but the worst player or something yes. like is what she said, which I was like, I don't the, know if I agree with the that, best okay. player in Overwatch one history, especially because spiritually and emotionally to me, he is the worst. I, I don't I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> Um, I, just I think ask, you, just ask Yaki, right? <laughs> well, like, cause you look at, um, the number, just the number of playoff of like championships and, or like big wins. Hey, yeah. He's got a lot. He's got a lot. That's very true. Alrighty. So let's couple, let's cover a couple more things. Um, overwatch two stuff. We got to see a significant amount of, well, I say significant. Um, we got to see some Overwatch 2 stuff, which was cool. And then I I don't know about you, Lobo. I was kind of irritated that like at this point we're even memeing on how they can't show us a release date. Like, nah. I, I don't either tell give us a beta date or something, dude. Like freaking, if we're just gonna keep pulling the line here to the point like I don't uh I'm a little bit too irritated about it, but like What did you think of the Overwatch 2 stuff we saw, I think, in the broad sense? Uh, I liked it. I, I, uh, it was clear that they were moving away from the, 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 uh, the MOBA aspects of Overwatch. Mm -hmm. Right? They said so themselves. Well, right. They said so themselves, but like, just because you say it doesn't mean it's actually going to happen, right? They've been trying to do that for years now. Um, and it hadn't happened, but watching the gameplay, that was definitely the case, right? Um, I, I know some people were worried when, when, uh, space said that it kind of felt like call of duty for push. And I think he, people took that too literally. Uh, I think is it was, just, what is that just because of the airstrikes that bastion has? Now? Yeah, right. No, I, I think it's because he said it, what he said was, um, that the the pace feels like Call of Duty a little bit. Um, mm. The pace and then there, there was something else, too, that sort of felt like Call of Duty. But, like, it's still not Call of Duty. Like, the, 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 the TTK time is still pretty, like, it isn't, like, super low. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. they're not going full-on Call of Duty here or anything. They, they, they just definitely went more towards those FPS roots than towards the you know smites of the world and stuff like that um which i think is fine which is one of the things that needed to happen and he also described um tanks as more like big dps's mm-hmm. and that's kind of what they felt like too from what we saw of what we were able to see of this clearly very early build of overwatch 2 there's a really good thread from jake um that's on twitter we'll link it in our show notes that talks about kind of where he sees this being a good thing that but it pretty much boils down to that like in overwatch one so much like so much has become like so much of the game has kind of become around really dedicating yourself to finding out how do you maximize the comp the best 
So like who has the best understanding of comp matchups and map features, which while quote, while this rewards endless dedication to understanding the game, it is too brutal a punishment for new players, especially as those skilled to other FPSs who expect to do well. In the end, I think the best case future in the best case future for Overwatch 2, and I mean the way 99.9% of people play in online matchmaking, not pro play, is one in which hero picks just don't matter much as much as they used to. There will always be people who want a one trick and people who want to play the meta. The only way to harmonize those two types of playing is to weaken the meta and make hero picking a less impactful part of the game, which means you have to make heroes more similar to each other, making every hero closer to a DPS. Right. Um, Which it's one of those things that is hard to wrap your head around and it's hard, I think emotionally untangle myself from it, but it makes sense. And I think something to put in here as well, because we got to see them play a game of push, which was fun. Um, it was kind of a madhouse of just people all over the map, all killing each other and all just pulling things out willy nilly. And everybody looks super powerful, but I have to imagine that they're going to be turning some. I, I would hope that they're going to turn a lot of that stuff down. Well, they're going to change a lot of it, too. Like this is still an extremely early build, which I think is something that's been stressed many, many times. But another thing here, um, this kind of goes to the point of what you were kind of talking about there. In one of his other tweets, he says, in pro play, there will always be optimized comps, right? The key is making those optimizations small enough that the pro comps are not so much better than just picking whatever heroes seem good and ranked. So hmm. so there's that that line there of, of, you know, this is still optimal, but it's not so optimal that it's it's destroying everything else, right? And, and that yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a pro or not. Um, that just kills everything, right? That's a problem that we've had in Overwatch for a very long time. So, and he even says in the end, in the end, pro play can only survive if the game is popular. Like, like that's important factor to have in here as well. And, and, you know, I was watching Surefor actually before we hopped on here and somebody said something like about um, Overwatch two changes or something. And, and, the the, per, the person just said some dumb things and, and sure is like, yeah, yeah, don't make any changes. Don't change something that that is doing so like like he was being sarcastic, but he was pointing out the fact that like Overwatch is having a lot of problems right now as far as like the 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 numbers and things like that. Like we don't know the exact numbers, but anybody who's played a game in any time recent, I haven't. Um, but that's just an example, right? I know I the mean, queue times are even longer for people who are at some of the lower ranks than what they're normally used to. Well, and again, people try to throw this whole big deal of like, man, like they're screwing over tanks. Like it sucks. Like I understand. And it's super frustrating, but look at the numbers of players of what players want to play. And like, and part of like, there's a ton more DPS players than there usually are for tank players. And like credit where it's due. If you make tanks feel a little bit more like DPS, there's going to be more people who are interested in trying out those heroes and playing those heroes even. And it does suck. Like there, I think it's okay to think that this sucks, but also understand why it's happening. Right. Yes. Let, there like, needs to, like, yeah, we can acknowledge that there is a sacrifice being made there. It's not like this is coming without any sort of like thing being sacrificed for it. Sometimes, unfortunately you have to put sacrifices onto the pyre if you want things to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. it, and it sucks. It really does suck because I do like how tank synergy is right. You like, I mean, just like the little lines, even from the dialogue between like Zarya and Reinhardt and stuff like that is stuff that I enjoy 
that's not that has nothing to do with the actual gameplay part of of the game, right? Mm-hmm. So it does suck that that is something that's going to change. It sucks that like you're never going to talk about the the Gator Hawk tank duo, right? Like there there was great storylines in Overwatch that we saw play out here in the playoffs too of the Element Mystic Boys versus the Atlanta Academy, you know, core tank line going against each other and stuff like that. That'll never happen again. And it it does suck. But the 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 point of these changes is not to diminish what Overwatch 1 was, but to try and make something that's going to last for a long time. And if this is what needs to happen, if this is going to make Overwatch be that game that it was before. And when I say what it was before, I mean the the amount of people playing it. It's never going to be the same game, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the the game as the the top players, you know, optimized it to all hack changed dramatically. And and changes were made and 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 abilities were added that changed the game dramatically. You're never going to be able to capture what Overwatch was in the beginning ever again. But if you can ca- capture some semblance of it, you can really make people excited, which, you know, we have Geo talking about how Geo's excited to play the game whenever it comes out. How many people do we have that are going to be that, right? Mm-hmm. So th- there's a lot of people who are reinvigorated by what they saw, even though it was just a glimpse. Also, Push seems like a lot more fun than any assault map that I've ever played. Yeah. What if, last thing to talk about with that before we look at the individual hero reworks. What did I know? Some people were trying to. I saw uh, Liz kind of putting forward the narrative that like the maps don't have singular chokes anymore. At least the map that we saw, Rome, doesn't have any like singular hard chokes you have to walk through. Um, the mode is a little different. Where like that's not as big of a thing, anyways, right? Mm-hmm. So, so like the choke part doesn't matter as much, and there there's going to be some choke points, anyways. But like. Again, when you only have five players instead of six, chokes don't matter as much either because you don't have as many bodies to sort of um, clog that area to make it harder for teams to get through or to push through. And and also, you don't have the same sort of front line that you had that you can just put at the choke and dominate. So so the game changes in that way is a lot, but... But having different avenues and access, if that's something that as far as map um, construction goes, like, that's fantastic. That's great. That could be a lot better. All right. Really quick, we're going to look at the hero reworks, and then we actually have to get to the actual games. There's been so much this week. Yeah. If we want to have an episode that isn't more than, like, 90 minutes long. Really quick. uh, Bastion. So they, they have showed us what their current status for Bastion like their current rework state and their current rework state for Sombra. Um, people seem to have been a little bit more like immediately a fan of the Bastion rework. They talked more about like, I think overall they want to stop. They want to move away from CC. We heard that with a lot of heroes that they're moving away with CC um, with Bastion. They want him to be a little bit more involved in fights um, to do that. They, in his normal re- his normal recon form, his weapon fire rate has been reduced by 50%. The damage falloff range has been increased to be more accurate at long range, and they've reduced his spread to zero. So no spread at all when he shoots anymore. Um, in his sentry mode, you now move while you fire at a reduced movement speed. 
you have unlimited ammo um and the weapon damage has been reduced by 40 percent. it is on a cooldown um people i think seem to forget this that people seem to forget that like he this is an ability now it isn't necessarily a, a form change now the transformation between the two primary combat modes has an eight second duration and a 10 second cooldown. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, they might've nerfed him a little bit too much because it, he didn't seem like a very strong hero in the game. Um, from what I saw of push, mm-hmm. but, but we didn't see that much gameplay anyways. Like they played a bunch of different heroes in that one map. So, so it's hard to like really get a good grasp of like what this bastion is, but it's definitely like, I'm going to be honest. I think these changes are more something that they did because like, I don't know if you've ever seen like, like bronze play or like very low, um, overwatch play. There's a lot of bastions there. Yeah. And like bastion just ruins the game for people in, in, in some of those elos. So I think that this is a response in part to that, but I think it also, you know, there's maybe some cool stuff with like the tactical grenade that was added into, which, for that, he shoots a tactical grenade that de- detonates uh, after a short delay and knocks back any enemies. Um, it, it, the grenade also bounces off walls, but sticks to enemies and floors. So that's kind of cool. So it's sort of like um, you think of like the hyperspheres that that Sigma uses. It's a little bit similar in that way. Um, I think mm. that's cool. Um, and then they do explode shortly after the stick to an enemy or the floor. So it's more of like a Semtex grenade from like Call of Duty. Uh, is what I think of when, when I hear the description of it, other than the pushback stuff. So, um, and again, it's not a hard CC. It is a pushback. Better, better. I'll take pushbacks over hard CC every day, every single day. And also like the, the ultimate too is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then which did you, did you say what the, the ultimate is for now for the, the new bastion? I didn't get uh, the new overwatch for all. I'm sorry. The new ultimate for Bastion is an artillery strike, which is something that we had um they had talked about actually. I remember them saying was like an initial idea for his ultimate as well. Um the new artillery strike is in artillery mode Bastion locks to the ground and unleashes a powerful long-range artillery strike. So you get to pretty much pick three different locations to strike anywhere on the map. They look like it it looks a little bit like a Doomfist ultimate where like you could zoom out and you move to where you want. Um, something that's really cool about this is that the artillery strike itself is a projectile that you can deflect. You can block with a Reinhardt shield. Oh, really? You can eat with the diva matrix. Like they talked about, you can actually interact with it as well. Um, that's pretty they cool. Said, they said the damage amounts. It's a lot. It's like 600, I think for a direct hit. Right. But that's the missile directly hitting someone. I think if you're in the splash, it's significantly less because I saw because the one because I only think they use the ultimate like once or twice. Um, one thing to note, ultimates build up significantly slower in Overwatch 2 as well. The, yes. the, the importance of ultimates is down significantly as a result. They can be team fight changers, but they're not changing every team fight. It's like every like two or three team fights, you'll probably get like three team fights or so. You, you'll maybe get a, a ultimate. So they're, they're not as like they're still impactful, but they're not as um, throughout the um, you don't get them as many times, but yeah, the artillery thing was kind of cool, but people like, like if it doesn't hit you directly, you definitely can survive it though. Yeah. Um, 
looking at that as well, we have the somber rework, which is a little bit more divisive. Uh, you saw a lot of people kind of throwing fits about it. I think it's there's a little bit more to talk about. Um, number one, so hack has completely changed how it works. They want to move it away from being like something that stops you from playing for a significant amount of time and more like an interrupt is what they said. Um, so now when you hack a target, you also deal 50% more damage to them. So hack targets take 50% more damage. Your gun, um, the damage is reduced from eight to seven and your spread is reduced by 20%. So it's a little bit more like from what it seems like, well, let's talk about the hack really quick too. Um, hack cooldown has redu- has been reduced from eight seconds to three seconds. The duration has increased to eight seconds. So wait a second. I could have sworn that. Okay. Um, duration has increased to eight seconds. The ability lock duration reduced from five seconds to one second. Right. So, so it's an interrupt. Yes. Yeah, so I'm trying to, what does that mean? The duration increased to eight seconds. The duration of how long um, you're hacked for. So the duration of a hack. So even though it only because now it no 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 not the ability lock duration the thing of the duration increased to eight no no let me finish so the duration of the hack is eight seconds so you are revealed as an enemy for eight seconds that's what it's referring to so that's why the the because if you look it's literally the next line so line where it says that hacked enemies uh you know you're seen through team through walls for eight seconds um, so, so that's why the duration is eight seconds, but the, the lock duration is only one. So, so they've sort of separated to d- the two because for as long as you were hacked was how long you were revealed prior to this, I believe. Um, cause actually I think it was shooting too would reveal you through the map is what it was. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's what's changed. Um, it, it. I like this hack a lot better. Um, There's only one thing I don't like about the hack, but that's something that actually has to do with stealth because for stealth. Oh, go ahead. I would say there's still a little bit more to talk about with the hack. Um, Now reveals hacked enemies of Sombra's team through walls for eight seconds. The cooldown is no longer halved when hacking health packs, healthing health pack hack duration reduced from 60, 60 seconds to 30 seconds. So you don't get to kind of camp health packs for as long. Um, and they aren't necessarily as beneficial to your playstyle. Um, but you now get like a mini widow ultimate where you get to see people through walls for eight seconds. Um, with the stealth part of it, you were starting about to talk about. So the fade in time from stealth, like coming out of stealth into being fully visible, has been reduced by 50%. Your detection radius increased from two meters to four meters. So if somebody bonks into you now, there's a little bit wider of a space where you'll become visible. But using hack no longer removes you from stealth, but you become briefly visible while hacking. I, yeah, I think that's okay, actually. Um, well, so people wanted to react to this. What? So people are just going to be invisible hacking me all the time? What? Oh, my gosh. And then, like, quite. not quite. But people like, okay. If, if guys, most people who play Sombra, if they're good, hack somebody from a spot where they're not going like they will come out of stealth to hack you like they're hacking from a spot where they're taken care of and where they're protected like it's the same thing with this we're like mm-hmm. there's going to be a little bit less opportunity to catch them out but you could still see them like people immediately kind of 
went to DEFCON 4 about this one. It is not as bad as people think that it's going to be. Yeah, I, I think that this changes her from like this seems fun to play her now, right? Because like um, she, you know, uh, our, our good friend Lafon would always mm-hmm. say you play Sombra to stop people from having fun or, or Brigitte, I think, is the one that he would normally say, right? I think mm-hmm. he said it for both. But like you would play those heroes to stop other people from having fun. This now feels like you're not stopping those people from having fun, but you could still be impactful in the game and, and it can be an enjoyable experience, right? L- like it becomes important that you're doing damage to hacked targets because you, you don't do as much damage with the machine pistol, even though the, the spread has been reduced by a pretty decent amount. You hmm. still have to be hitting those shots, right? So and now you have the ability to deal a lot of damage more than what you were dealing before if you're dealing damage to a hacked target. So like dealing, so like hacking a target and then dealing damage to them now becomes much more important than just getting the hack off, right? Like literally Lip, like like Lip, the, the reason why he's such a good Sombra is because he just was, he was able to hack people, right? Didn't matter, like, like, like obviously he did damage too, but he got off so many more hacks than everybody else that that made him so good. Well, well, now there's this other aspect of it. It's like, well, you actually do more damage to those targets that you hack. So, so you, you, you are able to be more impactful on that one hero that you've hacked for a few seconds than what you had before. So, so this is a play style change. Um, this changes how she plays in a team environment. And like, this gets people excited. Like this was something sure for was excited for, um, when I was watching him and he was kind of going over this stuff. So. He was he was excited for the changes and was like, oh, I'm going to be a Sombra main, you know, when when uh, when Overwatch 2 comes out, because mm-hmm. the, these changes are not super overly oppressive, but they keep with her kit being what it is. And then you still um, can play the game if you a person hacked. I do think like. People threw a huge fit over this and like. It is kind of frustrating to see like now support. I don't know if it's support mains and taint mains. I don't know who these people are, but like immediately whenever any DPS gets any sort of buff, forgive the language, but they just start immediately bitching about like, oh, this is so unfair. It's so bad. This is so unfair. Oh my gosh. They're like no love for tanks. Like they're going to get sh-. like, dude, we don't know yet. Why are you throwing a fit this hard? If you don't even know, like, Who's to say Reinhardt doesn't get another huge change? Who's to say Winston? Winston freaking got a Glock in the update that we saw where he can long range snipe people. Like there's well, tons of changes coming. It is not useful to yourself to freak out about this. Already. And that's something that was like sort of a point too. that. I, I think it was space made or, or no. Um, maybe it was somebody they were talking to from the team, but they, they said that like um, the, the, there are other changes that we've, there are other re- reworks that we are, we've done. Um, they're just not fully finished yet. Like, mm-hmm. like some of the, like, if you watch the push game, there were some heroes that were a little bit different than what we're used to. Yeah. Like Zarya had two bubbles on a shared cooldown. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so like there, there are, there are changes coming through that, that are going to make those heroes more fun too. So, so I think people need to, uh, whatever, oh, people are going to overreact. Right. I think that the important thing is to look at what we have here as a basis. And I like this. I also like the fact, and we haven't mentioned it yet, but EMP has changed yep. as well. So for EMP, uh, 
the they they have removed the effect of um additional shield specific damage so like if if you were a shielded character like like the 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 most common thing is like uh Zenyatta getting amped had no shield and then like you just had to breathe on him and he died right mm. that is not something that happens um but what they did change is there's an added effect so they removed that effect of dealing the shield specific damage and now it deals 40% of the enemy's current hp so I like the the no more shield damage thing because like being a Zen and then just having your shield all gone and then you're dead wasn't fun if you got EMP'd and the shields at least made like shields made at least sort of sense as far as from like what an EMP is. I I don't know if if you need the 40% of enemies current HP on there. I, I don't I think EMP was pretty strong already even if you didn't have the shield part of it right. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm a little bit surprised by that. I would have been okay with them just removing the effect and then not adding anything. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this 40% of da- uh, damage gets changed eventually. Or maybe not, though, because it doesn't come up that often as often anymore. So, All right. We have to get into the actual games. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's a lot of wanna... news. And it was big if... news. Yes. Thank goodness, too. I mean, I'm glad that we have a lot of Overwatch stuff to talk about. Like, thank goodness. All right. So we'll go through the games. Um, we are not going to have time to go through everyone in a lot of depth, unfortunately. But uh, we'll start off Justice versus Dallas. Washington Justice versus Dallas. Fuel was the first game. Um, I did take notes. I, I was able to take notes at least for the first run of these. Mm-hmm. Um, by and large, it mostly felt like Justice, Justice was still playing pretty hard. Um. But there were, it was still, I think, the same thing that we've seen. Oh, not the same. Excuse me. A lot of the same thing we've seen for this year, where they can play really hard, but there are still key mistakes that are giving their opponents opportunities to win. I think the most egregious one is that the Justice um, failed to touch point on Havana, which gives Dallas the victory. And it sounds like there was a miscommunication where Fury was coming back in off of the um, the wrecking ball, I think, or somebody was, and that, like, he was expected to make the touch in time when he just wasn't able to, but still like, does that change the outcome of the game though? I don't think so. Maybe like it makes it longer, but I I think to me, like this was clearly two different classes of team. That's what it felt like. That's what it sort of looked like. Like sure. Washington gets the win on one map, but I think this was Dallas kind of flexing some of their new muscles that they had. Right, showing some different compositions, um, not giving away as much in the early because they didn't have to against Washington. Like, whenever there was a mirror, uh, Dallas had the upper hand everywhere. Right, mm-hmm. L- like Mag's Mag's a great main tank um, for a rookie, but like Fearless is just on a different level from him. Right, um, Assassin and Decay, as good as they are of a DPS duo uh doha and sparkle played up to their level and beyond so mm-hmm. i i think this was a case of just uh significantly better team in dallas more so the supports like i think support is where you notice the biggest difference right fielder had a monster game yes so so i, I mean, think that 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 to me was like the bigger difference than like you know washington's like yeah washington mistakes are bad but I don't think it changed the outcome and uh, I don't think it would have mattered that much, even if they didn't have those couple 
like they were losing fight situations where those like mistakes happen anyway. Yeah. Match number two was Philadelphia Fusion falling 3-1 to the LA Gladiators. Philly looked messy this game. Um, it was cool that they had Poco in in time. That was nice. Um, unfortunately, I don't even think he played, but it just seemed like they couldn't commit to like a strategy of what to run. Shockwave took a while to really get going. Um, it seemed like they would pay a lot of attention to like kind of shutting down Kevster. And then eventually, if they put too much on him, Birdering would pop the heck off and kill everybody. And then they'd have to redirect. And then Kevster would be on top of them. Um, I think the main thing for this for me was just that they couldn't figure out what comp, like they could not figure out what they wanted to play. And they kept switching a lot of the time that they, they, they played comps that I was very confused as to why they were playing. Like it, it, situationally, it didn't felt like they knew what they wanted to play in certain situations. And, and the glad heaters just seemed to know what they wanted to do and just executed so much better. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that Philly kind of felt like they were outclassed. Um, that's kind of what it felt like, at least in this game. Um, mostly just because, like, compositionally, they, they didn't seem to to really have a grasp of how they wanted to attack L.A., and that was just kind of weird. Shanghai Dragons versus San Francisco Shock. Shanghai 3-0s. Um, Sh- San Francisco, I think, it really became apparent. Not even that San Francisco is a bad team. They played pretty well. It was just how huge the divide is between Shanghai and almost everybody else. This This was the start of the dominance. And Shanghai, this is something that I thought might happen, right? Like, like the composition that Shanghai won their tournaments with um, became available. And then nobody else could play it to the degree that they could. But they also had different wrinkles and different things. They had different ways to attack people. Like they could do more than just that. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter what San Francisco threw at them. Shanghai had an answer for everything. and they 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 stomp here and and that's a story we're going to talk a lot about for shanghai the rest of the way <laughs> it really seemed as well uh, that like shanghai like so void was on nero duty the entire time that poor dude couldn't get a death blossom off or anything without void up in his face defense matrixing the whole thing mm-hmm. also Izaki, like we'll talk about like his accolades near the end of the of the episode but like Izaki had a phenomenal game just lasering people with Zenyatta like across like he was pushing up so far but still like was able to defend himself and like incredible performance from that guy yeah they they, the the back line of Shanghai was never exposed at all and and maybe an area that I think I'm a little surprised teams didn't try to expose more than they did so so that's definitely something to I think too um and it's also in part because of how good their back line is do you remember like in season two being at that bar and then being like, is Yaki's going to be the rookie of the year? Is Yaki's going to be the rookie of the year? And like, this guy's incredible. And in that season, he was kind of ho-hum, um, not great. But Moon has just been able to unlock this guy's potential to where he is a monster of a flex support. Moon's an incredible coach. Like I said, I think if, if you were giving coach of the year after the after the playoffs, you would have given it to Moon. Mm. I don't disagree with you there. Um, and then Atlanta Rain, um, Chengdu Hunters. Chengdu wins this 3-2. It's a tight game. Um, although, <laughs> when you talk to Gator afterwards, he feels like it should have gone differently, that they should have played better. But I think he's right. 
I think something to mention with this as well, you talked about it earlier. Um, Far away 1987 coming in. I think he plays the entire playoffs. Um, he was, there there yeah. was like a couple maps against um, Dallas where they like went back to what they were playing prior to this. And then they switched to it at the they switched back at the end. Um, but yeah, he plays pretty much almost the entire time except for like one map in this series. He played like he was a difference maker, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like there was there was times where you're like, uh oh, there's a Winston that's on far away 1987 or oh, there's a there's a tracer on far away 1987 or something like that. And he's making plays. He was making plays on especially on the Anna. Like there were some amazing sleep darts that that far away had. So he he really showed out in his one opportunity to play, um, which was nice to see. I hope it means he gets more playing time in the future. It also makes me wonder if like coldest is sitting somewhere and waiting for his opportunity to do this too. <laughs> three years in at this point. <laughs> yeah. So um, no, I, I also thought that that um, leave had a rough tournament. It felt like to me. And it felt yeah, he felt up and down. And and I I think that this game in particular and then um and some of the other games, like it showed that like Chengdu isn't just leave, right? Like Gaga is very good. Like Late Young has performed so much better than I think anybody would have thought. So so I think that 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 the narrative of Chengdu is just leave sort of needs to die. Because it, the only reason Leave gets to do the things he does is because of everybody else around him, too. Um, well, I think the reason why, like, I think part of the thing with that, too, is I saw the take I saw a lot on social media was like, man, Hunters need somebody else who can take the pressure off of Leave. Because Jinmu played well on the Farah, but when it wasn't like a Farah situation, it does feel like they're not at their full, like, full deadliness. Right. But that's different than, like, Gaga is creating space and opportunities for you leave to do what you do best on Tracer, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was happening, right? The supports were supporting the way that they needed to. The biggest difference was you didn't have that guy who could play the Tracer or the the play the the Sombra the way that you need to. That that way you you have leave able to play on the 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 finishing blow characters the way that he can. So that was the biggest difference for Chengdu and they might be getting that player this coming season um, from their academy team. So there's a possibility that maybe they won't have that problem as much in the future, but it definitely was something that was a problem here. But again, that's a DPS player. That's not like what was always frustrating to me was they made it seem like it was one V six with Lee mm-hmm. and it never was. Quick note to um, Eveltal didn't play this whole tournament. Um, it seems like um, RUI pretty much, I think, stated that like they, he wasn't satisfied with Eveltal's uh, focus or with his play, um, that he caught him apparently reading manga or doing other things in, like while they were supposed to be scrimming multiple times. And so that's why Nisha played. Um, and then it sounds like there were people afterwards who were kind of critical of Nisha's performance throughout the whole tournament. But like Nisha played OK. He played fine. I mean, I it know. wasn't was it was it as good as Yveltal? Probably not. But listen, like that's a coaching decision. There was a lot of other coaching decisions that were confusing though too from Chengdu. So, like, I like Rui as a coach, but I also he also does things that just makes me scratch my head. So, this is true. 
Um, looking at the next set in the winner's bracket before we go through losers, um, Shanghai Dragons 3-1 over LA. Um, LA really trying here, but again, like the gulf is just too large. Mm-hmm. It, it really they was. Get, they like, except for Assault, which apparently Gladiators are like, have been scary good on Hanamara like the entire year. Shanghai full held them on everything else. And I don't know if Assault has been a map type that Shanghai has been any good at. Because if I remember right, isn't that the, the map type that Dallas ends up winning too? I think so. So so it's like, it's one of those things where um, that just isn't their map type, which whatever, that's fine. Because they dominated on everything else, so it doesn't matter. Um, they were so, they were again, they were very good. They limited what made the Gladiators very good as a team as well. Um, they made the back line of the gladiators look average, which I think is very impressive, especially if you make shoe look average, because we saw what shoe could do and how he could literally win a fight, uh, change a fight by himself. And then looking at Chengdu versus Dallas, Dallas three O stomps him. Um, it is not crazy close there, there's a couple of like moments where it's close like there's a couple of maps that are a little bit closer um it's not like every map was a, a complete stomp but this was a pretty like winners the, the the winners finals game or winner semifinals games were pretty fast that's mm-hmm. for sure um the the volskaya one was was actually kind of fun though um chengdu at least made that map a little bit of a map um, but then they 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 just couldn't attack on Eichenwald at all. And that was a little bit of a surprise. Going through losers bracket, um, San Francisco shock three two over Philadelphia Fusion. Philly tries to bring it back, but I think Nero just has himself a crazy good game. Um, looking as well to. From what I remember, we saw a lot of super this tournament, right? And not as much Smurf. We it saw a lot of like, super and we saw a lot of glister. Yeah little bit of ons here and there, but like mostly, yeah, yeah mostly Glister and Nero. Um, Philly played pretty well. Um, it's just San Francisco is able to beat him at the end of the day. We did get to see FD God back in the lineup consistently, w- which was nice as well. Um, now that we're. Yeah, Lucio was just so much more important right now. So it, it wasn't too much of a surprise. Yeah, it's a bummer of a and season. He played well. It's a it's been a frustrating season and it's a bummer of an end for Philadelphia. You really wonder what they could have been like if they could have had this whole team the entire time. But also like this is when the chips were down. So if you had to make it happen, it had to be now. I think that they should be very happy with the the run that they made, considering everything that happened. I know Mm -hmm. that that sounds weird to say, but like um, with, with all the circumstances that surrounded this team, like the fact that they were still able to get that far, I think is pretty good because they just as easily could have not have been in the playoffs at all. So. Uh, it, it sucks to be one of the first teams out, but at the same time, like how much business did they really have being there? Um, Atlanta, speaking of business, Atlanta freaking gives Washington justice, the business three Oh full hold on everything except for one point of Kings row. Um, it was not close. W- Washington was the only team that I felt like maybe kind of didn't, um, you know, yeah, they got into the tournament. But were they a team that was on the same level as all these other teams? Uh, I don't think so. Like, I think if you have Philadelphia and and Washington play, I think Philly beats them. So. And probably pretty easily, too. So they were the only team that 
didn't feel like they were on the caliber of all these other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they don't have the pieces to be there eventually, but I, I still think the support line is the biggest you know question mark for me. Actually, closer though, closer I thought was really good. Like closer played better this whole tournament. Yeah, I, I thought closer was not the problem. Um, but I, I I think BB is like a replacement level player. I don't think he's anything above a replacement level player. And that was one of the biggest problems for them. And flex support is a position where you have to be a difference maker. So th- that was definitely something that felt like was lacking from them and hurt them against a lot of like you think about all these teams that they played like fielder clearly better than BB and then Iris definitely better than BB too. So you, you weren't you weren't um, you, you were just losing too hard at that position. All righty. San Francisco Shock 3-2 versus Chengdu Hunters. Chengdu really fighting hard for it, but it just does not. It's not there. They they played a really good game, though. Like, it was super close. This was I, this was one of the best matches of the tournament in my mind. Um I think it was one of the most enjoyable games for me. I think it was the most enjoyable. This and and the other game that happened. Like this part of the losers bracket was like the best part of the the tournament, right? Like these were the well, best games. So it's it's tight down to the wire, and then when they get to Havana, Atlanta only makes it through two points. They make it pretty far, so you think that Chengdu has a decent shot, and Atlanta is able to just kind of stymie them at the first point of a Havana so much where Leave can't really get. It. Oh, I'm sorry, San Francisco is able to stymie Chengdu at the front of Sam, of Havana so much so that like leave isn't able to really get anything going like by the time that he's able like by the time they start actually making push towards the latter part of point one they only have like a couple seconds left and even then it's enough for san francisco to come in and just clear house yeah they they had a lot of troubles and i think that they have a little c9 as well of sorts at the end but it was again, it was like a losing situation sort of a thing. It was sort of like the Washington one where like it didn't really matter if you got on anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for Chengdu, like there, there was like one team fight. If they win it, they probably end up being the team to move on instead of San Francisco on Havana. And they just they were outplayed um, San Francisco. Nero Nero had some hero plays there at the end. Ch- Choi Obin. I think Choi Obin was a real hero on this team. Mm-hmm. Um it's crazy because like it almost feels like every year we have like a, a flex support who like is like the best in the world. And then the next year, they're just not not to that same level they were the year before. Um, Violet was always very solid, but he was never like the Violet that you feared the way like you feared Violet last year. So that that was a little bit of a surprise to me that that he was never able to sort of regain that, especially in playoff time. Um, He did definitely have some very good moments, but he still was just never like that one guy who like you're scared of the way that you had been scared of him prior. So um, that's unfortunate for San Francisco later on, but they still played really well. They get past Chengdu and uh, Chengdu. It sucks that that's the way it ends, but I don't know if they were going to go much further than this. Yeah. I agree with you. All right. Looking at the next one. Atlanta rain three, two over the gladiators. This one was also super tight. Um, I think part of it comes down to, we, we haven't talked about it as much. Iris on Atlanta had a really good tournament and it's had a really mm-hmm. good year overall. Um, I think going beat for beat with shoe, 
what um from from what I can recall, what really kind of stymies it is that eventually they, they managed to bottle Kevster a little bit. Remind Did, me if I'm wrong, but like, um, I there, for this it was there. I think there was just some standout performances. Like, I think that, and maybe this is just uh, I don't remember if Roll Stars had been revealed yet or not. But like, I think Hawk outplayed space in this in this um in this game, mm-hmm. which was definitely like one of the difference makers. But also, like Kai had some crazy pop off movements on on the cowboy and stuff. Like there there was there was a couple different factors to why this happened. But I I think Atlanta showed why they were a team that people were kind of afraid of and why they were a team that was able to get to. Hawaii so many times in this particular game, right? They're able to get some revenge here too against the gladiators. Like mm-hmm. this was a very, very fun um, series that Atlanta is able to get, like I said, a little bit of revenge. And God, I'm trying to think of what was the biggest thing here. Gator also had some crazy plays too. Like Gator, they start putting Gator on, on Reinhardt and just say, have fun. And like, that seemed to make a difference too. Um, like there are some pin plays, especially in the Dallas series when Atlanta eventually plays Dallas that Gator makes that like it's absolutely insane. So the, the, there, I don't think it was like just one player specifically on on Atlanta that made the difference. But I think that this was another game where another team was able to really shut shoe down more so than we've seen other teams be able to do. Mm-hmm. And and I think Hawk was a, a real difference maker and 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 was able to just get on top of so many different players. Kevster being one of them. Looking over at the losers final. Well, let's go winners final, losers final. Winners final, Shanghai Dragons beat the Dallas Fuel 3 to 1. Like you had said, Dallas is able to take assault on this one. Um they've also it's on Volskaya, which has been like their best map all year. Um but this one like so this result wasn't a huge shocker as much like between the two of these, like Shanghai winning wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it still turned out to, I would say it was still a really good game. I was a little disappointed in Dallas in this one. I thought that there was some other um, composition little things that they could have done. Uh, I was a little surprised. They didn't try to mirror what Shanghai was doing a little bit more like just some of the decision-making as far as composition like didn't line up with what I thought that they could really do. So I, I was just a little bit surprised by that because like when they did play in a mirror, it did seem very close. So that was, that was the most confusing part for me. Cause I think Vos- Volskaya is the one game, one map where they win and they play the same exact comp that got Shanghai to this point and they beat them on that mm. map. So I was a little surprised. We didn't see maybe a little bit more of that. Um, and I'm surprised we didn't see a little bit more Winston stuff as well. Uh, it, it was just it was just very odd some of the things they did compositionally to to try and avoid. It was almost like they were avoiding the mirror for for some parts of it, and then they did play into the mirror in in other parts too. But those were the closest games. So so like their control, they're definitely what they did on control didn't make a whole lot of sense for me. But but Shanghai was just on a different level though too. So I, I don't know if it would have mattered as much, but I would have liked to have seen them do it. 
And then looking over at the loser's final, well, semifinal, the loser's semifinal, San Francisco Shock falls 3-1 to Atlanta Reign. Um, we talked about it. I think as much as Choi was really trying to push them over the edge, really trying to get them there, it felt like Kai had their number on a lot of points, especially like there's the whole clip they have with Violet, I think. Either Violet or Twilight, I don't remember. Um, hitting them with the moon boots with Baptiste on like on the spawn on King's Row. And he pops up into the air and Kai just instantly deletes him. Like it's it really seemed like Atlanta not only like beat these guys, but had their number for sure. I'm also sometimes confused by like people using the moon boots like that because it makes you a very predictable target. Sometimes I think it's not worth it doing it. Like then you're just a, literally he was a clay pigeon for 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 the cowboy to shoot for Kai, right? Like like that's what it was to me. And I was like, oh, Kai hits those shots. Okay, not a surprise. Um, I I I think that this was a I think this was a tournament though where we were seeing Atlanta ascend though more than anything else. Right. Like like this was their time to prove some things that people maybe didn't expect from them. And they definitely did it. So I was really impressed by Atlanta in this game. They were able to handle everything that San Francisco sort of threw at them. And and they played a style. They played their style and you either had to try and match it or do something else to fight it. And nobody was really able to. And then. Losers finals, Atlanta Reign 3-1 over the Dallas Fuel. I think a lot of people expected this to go Dallas's way. Um, and I think Atlanta, like Atlanta has a very like Atlanta's run through this losers final is like a murderer's row of people they had to beat. And like it when they finally get to Dallas, it seems like Dallas, correct me if I'm wrong here, I just don't feel like they had the answers. Oh, it's weird because the the map type you maybe expect. Uh, Dallas to maybe have a little bit more trouble on um, is control, but they win control. And then like, okay, Hanamura, like you, you kind of get what, what Atlanta wants to do there. But like Dallas's compositions should still work. And Dallas did some weird stuff. Like they, they, they stayed away from just playing Sombra Tracer. And like, I'm sorry, but if you look at the team that ended up being the champions, Sombra Tracer was good enough for them to, to kind of beat everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know where this like lack of confidence of, of putting your, your, what are you, you know, probably your best player, your most talented player on a hero that could make a difference. I, I didn't get that. I didn't get some of the stuff that they did. I also didn't get like, they really tried to make the doom fist work and it worked at times. But it also didn't work a lot of the time, too. Yeah, it really felt like they were like, OK, well, here's our like, here's our wrinkle that people aren't expecting. And it just wasn't as it wasn't as universally successful as I think they wanted it to it, be. I think they I, I think this was a, a case of of Dallas um, outsmarting themselves. That's what it felt like to me. Right. Credit still goes to Atlanta, though, because they played they still played an awesome, like strong game. This wasn't like doubt. And Dallas didn't as, fall over, right? Yeah. But Dallas so, did not play what we've seen them be before, I think is still important to point out. So we get to the grand finals of the Overwatch League fourth season. Um, it was interesting going into this. You had Atlanta, I think Gator specifically talking about how like our number one thing is that we play that like we play for fun. We play to have a good time. 
which people kind of try to be like, oh, you're just saying that in case you lose or you're just a poor sport or like, but Atlanta coming in. I know I saw people trying to theorize because I honestly, when these two teams like stacked up against each other, everyone was betting Shanghai. Um, you saw people trying to kind of make caveats like, oh, well, like Kai does play Tracer here and there. And Kai, I think, played Tracer like a tiny bit in this tournament and he looked OK. So it's like if 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 Kai can just be enough to not beat, but like handle Fleta or handle Lip, I guess, like then Atlanta has a chance here. And when we got to the actual game, it was not that close. <laughs> this is weird. This was a weird game, too, because like. Atlanta does some stuff that makes you scratch your head, but then Shanghai does some stuff that you're not expecting either. Right. They go full rush just to meme on him at one point. No, I don't think that's what they were doing, but and they didn't go full rush. They went like their own version of rush. Um, I think this was just Shanghai knew that they needed to win this. Otherwise, there was going to be a lot of talk about them. I think that they they met the expectations that they were supposed to. I think Atlanta sort of got the Dallas fuel syndrome a little bit of outsmarting themselves with some of the things that they wanted to do. But I do think that there were still some players that, like, man, Hawk did everything he could mm-hmm. to try and get them to, to, to be in a position to win. And it just wasn't enough. I think Pelican, too. Like, I think Pelican and Hawk are two guys that you're not upset with how they played sort of in that final game. And even Kai had some really good, pretty good moments as well. But the the back line, like. Iris and Masa are very, very good. And they were they looked very, very, very bad in the finals. Like like they, they were not noticeable the way that Izaki and Lee Jagon were. Mm-hmm. And that to me was a big difference maker. And Gator, you know, couldn't match fate on any of the tanks for the most part, except for Reinhardt, but even Reinhardt he struggled too. So I it, it felt like they were just outmatched everywhere. Except for for you know Void and Void and Hawk kind of I think canceled each other out, but Void also had a really good game as well. That is what I'm saying by that too. Like that's how good Hawk was playing. That that like Void was also playing super super good. So you're gonna get four would if you're just not able to match everybody that way. And Lip was an absolute monster. Like yeah, like his Sombra was so oppressive all tournament long. Nobody could deal with him. Also, that man is an absolute unit. He is. Oh, he's huge. huge. I did not know that. He's like a he's like a good like six inches taller than everybody else on that team. I thought he was, you know, I, for some reason I thought he because deep. Well, no, it's no. You know what it is? It's because like I realize I, I think what it is, you're used to seeing whenever they do those player like screenshots or anything. They're all like the same, the same height. height yeah, they all height balance everybody. And then you see Lip and he like they show the like the trophy presentation ceremony and he's so much taller. By the way, do they just have two Overwatch League trophies? And then like if Atlanta wins it, they can go to the Atlanta compound to give it to him. And then if they're in, um, if the Shanghai team wins it, they can go to Shanghai and give it to him. They just have a loose. Overwatch I think that's League smart. Championship. I think that's smart because you know what else that means? It means that now you already have your trophy for next year. You're already covered. You're already covered. Smart move by the league in my mind that they had trophies. They they probably have two MVP trophies as well. 
I think that was a stroke of genius because because I was thinking about that. I I, I really was when it was trophy time. I was like, man, I hope they have trophies for them because otherwise this kind of sucks if they're just standing on a on a stage just looking around like whatever. So I was really happy that they did. Um, they had two trophies. Did they actually have the championship trophy there though too? No, uh, I might be wrong. Actually, it might just be the. MVP. I think it was just the MVP. I think they had just two of the MVP. They should have had two of the 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 championship trophy. That would have been a better idea. Um, I will say that Lip getting the so Lip got the finals MVP. Um, I think it was mainly between him and Izayaki. But after the last couple, like after the last couple um maps, it definitely kind of went into the Lip territory. His Hanzo was stupid. It was a pr- like, I mean, his was, was incredible sh- too. The shots he hit on on Hanzo, like Kai, Kai like matched him like once, but like Kai's in is kind of nutty on Hanzo too. But even he was just not playing at the level that that Lip was in that game. Well, and you saw like also um, Geo says that Gator is from Tennessee, which I did not know. That's pretty fun. Um, all I can see on Wikipedia is just his birth country, like. Literally, Ox is Chicago kid, by the way. I just want to point that out there. Oh, I'm from Illinois. Kai would would turn a corner and just insta dead. Like, it would, you could even watch him, like, where he was, you would watch him react. Where Kai's a very, like, focused, mm -hmm. not very, like, emotionally reactive guy. And it wasn't like he blew up or anything, but you would see he gets shot, like, oh, wow, okay, ugh. The, like yeah, was, there was like a shot that he got hit by that was nuts. I, I know what you're talking about. That moment <laughs> where like he just couldn't believe what had just happened, um, especially because I think he had like a little pop off moment right before it happened too, and then he gets mm-hmm. blown up. Um, there's a moment too, like where Gator, like he's just playing tank, like he's doing something that's correct, and then he just gets blown up. Um, like like oh, they, yeah. it was like total team focus. They destroyed him. He didn't oh, do anything wrong. Oh, no. He was in the right spot at the right time. He's like, all right, I'm disengaging. And he disengages. The team is like disengaging correctly behind him. And then just like three people instantly melt him. Like he's, it was nuts. It was absolutely crazy. Like, like they were, li- the, there is an argument to be made that the Shanghai Dragons are the best team uh, to ever exist in Overwatch. One. Mm-hmm. Um, with how competitive this year was and how dominant they ended up being in playoffs, there is a conversation for that because they, they, you know, sure they don't win every single tournament. Nobody does win all the regular season tournaments. Right. So I think that they, there, there's a conversation between them and San Francisco for that spot. And I think they're the only two teams that are in the conversation. I agree. It's still crazy to me. Like I was, I have one last thing on this lip was, was lip this good on blossom? Um, I don't I feel remember. Like, I feel like lip kind of came out of nowhere to just be like one of the best DPS in the world. Like he was, but it's also been a, a slow ascension, right? It's not something that just happened overnight. Right. Well, like, cause he was like, he was really good last year he wasn't like he was close to like one of the best but he wasn't like the best but he it was also on one specific um hero right like like last year he was kind of a, a one trick right like where this year like what he does on hanzo and what he does on some other heroes 
is like a, a separator. Man. I like, I mean, we have to wrap up cause this is such a long episode, but like it is incredible. Even though the finals weren't as competitive necessarily and the scoreboard that I would have liked. Um, I'm still really happy to see. I'm really happy with how playoffs ended. Um, it is kind of poetic. I mean, you've seen tons of people making this com- this um, comparison. It is kind of poetic that Shanghai go from being the worst team of in Overwatch League in season one, going owing going zero and forty, to end up sweeping and becoming arguably like the best team in Overwatch history, Overwatch League history at least. Yeah. Overwatch one history. Yeah. And there's arguments to be made that Fleta is the greatest player of Overwatch one. I think to me, and I'm curious to hear what your thought is to me, the greatest Overwatch one player is, is striker. I think he's the greatest Overwatch one player of all time. Um, I think you can just look at San Francisco this year as an example. Um, I don't know if anybody's better than him, but it's wild to think that we're closing out this like chapter of overwatch this way, um, that the team that was the worst becomes the best. I, it is poetic, especially because it was 40 games, right? Not, not like the 16, like Owen 16 doesn't feel as bad as Owen 40. It still feels bad, but definitely feels worse, especially because there were so many times we thought maybe Shanghai, oh, maybe they could get the win here. Like they were so bad that first year mm-hmm. to completely reconstruct themselves and be so good that they are probably the best Overwatch one team. I think is incredible. Uh, I don't think Fleta is overhyped. I would disagree with all. that for sure. Yeah, Geo, <laughs> I think he's in the conversation for greatest Overwatch one player of all time. I, I I don't think there's any arguments about that. Um, I think that this sort of solidifies it this year, especially. Um, so just see, because this solidifies it that because you said Striker is your number one, right? That he's in the conversation. I'm saying. Okay, I thought you said from no, no Strikers. I said Strikers okay. the best, but Fled is in the conversation, right? Well, it's interesting how the conversation has switched too, because for the longest time people said it was profit, but I mean realistically, besides. Again, one season of Apex and the first season of Overwatch League, the results haven't necessarily been there for profit either. Exactly. He got he did get back to another championship, and he is another guy that is in that conversation. Yes. So so there's definitely other people that you can put in the conversation, and you can rank them above Striker. And I would probably not disagree with you. Like, I think there's arguments to be made for Choyobin. Um, and there's a couple other guys that are gonna come to mind too. But we I should, think that, yeah. Let, let's make a note of that because we'll be here all night talking through this. Yeah. That's something we should do on a coming episode is making our definitive. Now that Overwatch League, now that Overwatch one competition is pretty much over. What is, who is the greatest of all time? That might be something we talk about next time, but I definitely think that will be a fun co- conversation, um, especially when we have more time to think about it too. But I mean, just the, the, the way that this ended though, like, it was a storybook ending. It really was a storybook ending to how Overwatch one finished. I can't I can't agree more. I think when you look at where all these teams were and where they are now, where the league was and kind of 
you think about like last year was a dark time with Overwatch League, and this year isn't the brightest, isn't the most bright and bushy tailed year yet either. Different like, reasons, right? Different reasons, yes. But it feels like finally the league is on the right track as far as what identity they want to have, as far as what their vision is for what they're doing. They have a much clearer vision. And it's really going to be all about execution, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. But, like, like literally the ending of Overwatch 1 is a storybook ending. Like, like you couldn't write it better. From 0 and 40 to 4 and 0. Like, how, I don't know how many people I saw tweet that, but a billion people tweeted it. Because it's not something you see happen in esports, sports, anything like that. So it's incredible that that's what happened. I could not agree more, sir. And it has been... It has been my honor to cover this season with you. Our third season in a our, I mean, they're all in a row, but like our third season together, wish push point. Wow. I'm just a marble mouth today, man. And I am all the time. <laughs> you would think that podcasting would have cured me of that a while ago, but it hasn't. Um, I, I already can't wait for next year. I'm already frustrated that we don't have a start date, even though like, what is that April? ever been anything? Yeah, I know, but you know what I mean. That's and never been also, anything new. Listen, they heavily hinted that Overwatch Two will be out uh, at the start of the season, possibly. At least a beta, dude. Give me a beta. Um, yeah, it's been our honor here covering season four of Overwatch League. Thank you guys for being with us. Couple of things to tie up. We're still figuring out what we're going to be doing um, as far as the next couple of weeks. Um, the once a month format was really good as far as being able to concisely cover content. Um, also, just making sure we don't have a bunch of empty episodes. Um, we're figuring out on our own. We talked about it in the Discord that um, with kind of the state of how with with the current things surrounding Blizzard as well, um, we really have been trying to look at like what our long term plans are with both Overwatch as a property and then also just with the show. We enjoy doing it, but we want to make sure this is something that we still really enjoy doing all the time. Um, so you'll hear from more from us soon. Uh, we have some stuff we're working on. We talked about it a little bit already. Um, also, we've been talking a little bit um, in the Mash Those Buttons Discord about a future game night, um, getting some really good feedback from people in that community. We always en- we always encourage you to join us at discord.me slash mash those buttons. Um, so it sounds like we'll be putting together plans for another game night in the near future. Yeah, definitely excited for that. Um, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I don't feel as bad about playing Overwatch right now. I just don't have the desire to. Now I'm kind of mm-hmm. looking forward to Overwatch 2. But um, we didn't mention anything with Activision Blizzard. So I just really want to mention that. Yeah, good call. Th- there's still um, there, there's actually uh, obviously there was the suit that was filed by employees last week, which we talked about last week. Um, that's still a developing story. So keep your eyes on that, but also keep the pressure on. The, the people at the top at blizzard right mm-hmm. so so that is something that that uh they still haven't met any of the demands of the those who are our employees and there's a lot of craziness coming out with that uh we'll probably talk more about it next week but either way patreon.com slash mashless buttons to support this network because you know the people at this network are awesome so especially ja little as a dollar a month you get access to patreon exclusive content so do that please also follow us for the show and we'll keep you up to date um at pushpointpod is where you can do that. Push the point at gmail.com to email us. 
You can follow Labosco on Twitter at Labosco for all of your One Piece needs as well as any <laughs> other Overwatch stuff. Um, I'm horrible at Twitter, but I encourage you to follow me at Ramsey's underscore OW. And thanks for hanging out with us for another incredible season. I already can't wait for the next one. Um, I, I Lobo, I'm waiting for Stimmy money to come in because I'm debating buying another jersey at this point. So, oh, that's right. You Californians get Stimmy money. Oh, dude, Sounds nice. Man. With my best friend, Gavin. All right. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for being here. We appreciate you. Whether you're listening to us through your podcast or here on the Twitch at twitch.tv slash mash those buttons. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, this is our the end of our season four coverage. Next week begins the march towards season five. So we'll see you then. Thank you again. Uh, have a good one. Stay safe. See you soon. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at twitter.com slash the Mash Network, facebook.com slash Mash Those Buttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash Discord. 